What is worship? Is it the songs we sing? Is it, uh, is it our tithes and offerings? Is it the intercessions and petitions that we pour out to God in prayer? Is it simply our attendance in uh, church services? Or is it listening to the sermon? Is it any of those or all of them or some of them? Really, it's all of these things are elements of worship. But they are not worship in and of themselves. Which means that we can do all these things, but not actually be worshiping. So that's why I want to talk about true worship. What is true worship? If it's not the songs that we sing, if it's not the offerings that we give, just those in and of themselves, then what is it? Sometimes we mistake the means of worship for worship itself. Um, there's a verse, and this is, this is somewhat of a, not a preachy, happy, rah-rah, amen sermon, so just bear with me. Because one of the things that I wanted to escape from the notes here for a second, one of the things that I believe is that we're a worshiping church, that we, we, we know how to, to, to step into God's presence and to lift Him up and pour our hearts out. I think we do, but I think there's a deeper. I think there's, there's, a, there's a deeper level that we can go into. And some of the stuff, well, most of the stuff you probably have heard before, or many of it, you already, much of it you probably already know. But let's, let's d- dive into this. And just go a little deeper. And a little deeper into God's presence. And so, the, the Bible says that uh, in Timothy, I don't have this as one of the scriptures to, to read, but it says that, you know, that they, they had a form of godliness denying the power thereof. And it, that, that scripture can point to so many things. But really, in this context, it, it ties into this idea that sometimes we, we can mistake the means of worship for worship itself. I, I've been guilty of it. Gotten getting up there. I'm the worship leader, and you know, you're supposed. To, I'm supposed to be perfect, but I've gotten up there, run through the songs, and realized, you know, I, I, I don't, I can't really honestly say that I truly stepped in and worshipped Almighty God just now. I think I just sang through the songs. So sometimes we mistake the means of worship for worship itself. There's a man, a uh, story of a man. He had his, his son had his sixth birthday coming up, and he. Uh, he asked the boy what he wanted, and the boy said he wanted a, uh, a party. And then he said, well, what do you want for presents? And he says, mm, well, you know, and the thing about this kid is he's normally very specific. This is not my son, by the way. This is just a story. Uh, he's normally very specific about what he wants. If, you know, if he was to say, you know, I want a baseball glove, he would then tell him it's at Toys R Us, aisle six, just below the baseball bats. Or if it was, you know, maybe he's wanting a Parcheesa game. Dad, it's in aisle one, alphabetical order, just between, you know, and, you know He'd be very specific. So he asked him, what do you want for your birthday? What kind of presents? He says, oh, I don't know, a football, maybe a soccer ball. And he said, well, which would you want most? And he said, well, Dad, if, 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 if you're going to be not too busy this year, I want the football so that we can go out in the backyard and we can toss it back and forth. But if you're going to be really busy this year, maybe I'll just get a soccer ball and I can kick it around with my friends in the neighborhood. And the father was just kind of thought about that for a second. He said, well, how about I surprise you? And he says, okay, Dad, that would be great. I love you. And he went and talked to his wife about it, and he, they realized that he was not so much concerned about the gift as the giver. And that, my friends, before we go any further, that is the heart of worship. It's about God. It's not about what we get out of it. It's not about us at all. I mean, we're involved, obviously. But it's ultimately, it's about God and Him alone. True worship is not interested in the created, but the creator. So, in that sense, when we come here on Sunday mornings, 
this almost, hopefully if I don't step on too many toes, but if I do, do you know, I have to step on my own because I'm guilty of doing this sometimes. Did I like the sermon? Did I like the service? Did I like the music this morning? These are not good questions. The real good question, the only good question is, did God like it? Was He blessed? Was He pleased? And I, I, I have to tell you, it's too many times I walk off the stage and I think, you know, oh, the music went really well this morning. And I kind of put it in the back seat. Yeah, but we also touched God. Where really that should be the front seat thing that we touched God and hey, cool, the music went well too. Or it went bad. Sometimes that happens too. We should not make this mistake of limiting our worship to Sunday morning either. And we cannot come on Sunday morning simply as a spectator. The pastor and the worship team are not the performers and the congregation is not the audience. All of us gather to please God, to bless Him, to serve Him. The truth is we are all the performers. On Sunday morning, we're all the performers. It's not just you know, us on the, the worship team. It's not just the, the, whoever's preaching this morning. I'm preaching or sometimes it's Pastor TJ preaching. Most of the time it's Pastor TJ preaching. Even in that setting, you can still perform by paying attention, by letting God speak to you. Not just listening to the words, but letting God really get in there. And that's even worship. Well, I don't want to get too deep into that and spending too much time on that. If our only thought is to know what's for us, then our concept of worship is backwards. If we're going to truly worship, we must come to the realization that worship is not for us, but it's for God. We see in the Gospel of John that God desires worship, so we, we must learn how to worship Him. And this morning and next, and next week as well, I want to share five aspects of true worship. Five aspects. We're going to go over four this morning. I hope I have time to go over all four. Um, each, I'll tell you this, each of them, each four of these, I, I really struggled this week to, to figure out how am I going to get these five things out because each one of them could be a sermon. So bear with me. I'm not going to go into each aspect exhaustively. My hope, and then maybe this is a good thing, because my hope, honestly, is that you'll go home, maybe just write, if you don't take, you're not a note taker, I'm honestly not a great note taker either, but just write down these five things and then go home and Look them up. Find out what God really says about these five aspects. Deeper than we're even going to be able to go over this morning. The word worship appears in the Bible. The first time it appears in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 22, verse 5. And we're going to start reading chapter 22 from verse 1 right now. Um, this is a popular story. Abraham bringing Isaac to sacrifice him. God asked him to do this. Everybody probably knows this story. So in... Uh, Chapter 22, verse 1, it says, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thy only son, whom thou lovest, and get thee to the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I shall tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took his two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went into the place of which God told him. And then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes, saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake to Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, son. 
And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for the burnt offering. So they went both of them together. And they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood there, the, there in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. And he said, Lay not thy, thy hand upon the lad, neither do anything to him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing as thou hast not withheld thy, only, thy son, thy only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a, him, a ram was caught in the thicket by the horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him to, as a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh. And it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord, I shall be seen. We'll stop there. The first, the first aspect is revelation. And this is my favorite. And it's not my, let me, let me back that up. It's not just my favorite. To me, this is the most important one. Without this one, the, five, the other four aspects, they just, they won't happen. Not, not truly. I, I mean, you can, again, go back to that Timothy scripture. You can have a form of them, but you're going to deny the power thereof because the revelation is really of God. Without, the first thing that we need to, we see here is that God revealed himself to Abraham. The true worship, true worship is based on a revelation of God. Worship is not based on my likes or my dislikes, my preferences or priorities. It's solely based on God's revelation of himself as it is found in the Bible. Because true worship is based on the Bible, the only question that needs to be asked about our means or the elements, the songs, sermons, offerings, etc. of worship, the only question that needs to be asked about those things is are they biblical? So really the how doesn't really matter right now. What really matters is that in, truly, in order to truly worship, we must understand who it is that we worship. And I, and I know that we all understand in this room, well, God, but do you know Him? And, and I'm not questioning anybody's salvation. I'm saying, do you, do, you, do you search Him out? Do you try to grow and understand Him better and better? Because God will show Himself. Ask, seek, you shall find. It says it throughout the Bible. Seek, you shall find. We must have a revelation of Him, a biblical understanding of who our God is. In Revelation, I don't want to go too far. Like I said, I could spend, gosh, I could spend two or three weeks on just this one alone. And the book of Revelation, it's, it says that, you know, the, the, the four creatures right there at the beginning, the first couple few chapters there, uh, it says these, there's four kind of strange creatures and they cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. And it says when they say that, that the twelve elders, the twenty-four elders rather, that are sitting on either side of the throne. They bow, they get down, they throw their crowns down, they bow down and they just start crying out, worthy is the Lamb to receive glory and power and riches and wisdom and strength. And, and they, there's a response because there's a revelation of God. And that is what happens. We get a revelation of God and then we can step in and truly begin to worship God. Psalm 47, verse 6 and 7 so sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises unto our King, sing praises for God, verse 7, for God is the King of all the earth, sing ye praises with understanding. It's a command of God that we're not just to sing the songs, we're not just to, I mean, it goes through verse 6, sing, 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 but don't just sing. Sing with understanding. Know who it is 
that you are singing to. Know who it is that you're singing about. We need, we must know our God. I'm not questioning your salvation. I'm not questioning whether or not you, quote, know God as being born again. I'm saying, do you grow in your knowledge of Him? We should always be growing. And the Bible says in, um, I don't remember which psalm it is now, Psalm 145, I think it is, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. It doesn't mean that we can't find his greatness. It doesn't mean that, it, that we shouldn't search out. It's saying the, uh, it's, it's His greatness is unsearchable. That concept of His greatness being unsearchable is that it's so vast you can't exhaust it. It's so vast that you'll never find it. He's so big that for all eternity we'll still be going, oh my, wow, that's God. Look at that. I didn't see that before. Look at that. That is a beautiful thing when it happens in the middle of singing songs. You see, maybe you know the love of God. You know His, His, His mercies and His embrace. But my goodness, you get a fresh revelation, just a glimpse of it. And it's like, whoa, wow. And it just becomes that much more. Even though you thought you knew the love of God, that it just grows and grows. And it should always be growing. His greatness is unsearchable. Our knowledge of God should always be growing. And I need to move on because I'm running out of time quickly. Let me say this statement. This is... One to think about, and if you're taking notes, you definitely, I think you should write this down. I should have put it up on the screen, but it says, The kind of God we worship is the kind of person we will become. The kind of God that we worship is the kind of God, or kind of person that we will become. Just like a father in a, to a son, I find myself, I, you know, everybody's, you know, a lot of people have dysfunctional families. And my dad was a great dad. There are so many things that he did great. And there's so many things that, you know, now that I'm an adult, I realized he probably shouldn't have done it that way. And so I'm not going to do those things. You know, I made determination. I think, you know, a lot of us do that. You know, I don't want to be like mom. I don't want to be like dad. They didn't do it right, and I think I could do better. But you're still going to find yourself every once in a while. It's, it's normal, at least. I found myself this week, and I, I caught myself... And I thought, yeah, I just sound just like my dad. And in this case, it's not necessarily a good thing, and I had to repent, and I had to, you know. Yeah, that's just great, you know. But, um, but that's, it's, just a, it's, a, it's the way God made us. We are going to be like our Father. We are going to be like our Father. And so because of that, that principle that's even in the Word of God without backing up with all the Scripture, the kind of God we worship is the kind of person we will become. Because of that, we have to be sure that the God we worship is the God of the Bible and not a God of our own making. And my goodness, that could be that statement alone could just branch off and be its own sermon. We need to be careful that we do not put God in a box, as they say, which is, I mean, it's impossible. Really what it is, is you're not worshiping God if you put God in a box. You're making your own God. I think the people in Exodus did that too, and that, was, that didn't turn out so well for them, did it? Um, so, just as a football player, let's move on from that. Uh, we can find the revelation of God in the Bible. He's revealed himself quite thoroughly in the Word of God. And in prayer. He'll show, show you stuff. The Holy Spirit will show you so many things as you're studying the Word. Just study the Word. Just as a football player must study the playbook in order to be a good player, so the worshiper must study the Bible in order to be a true worshiper. If we want to do more this Sunday than merely singing the songs and listening to a preacher talk, then we must study the playbook. Second aspect is preparation. Preparation. Excuse me while you write that down. 
the revelation that God received from God, that Abraham received from God was to was hard to hear. I mean, he's going to kill his son. <laughs> I don't think I could do this. But Abraham made preparations to obey immediately. I mean, that's the sense that we get. That he, he just, yes, Lord, I'm here. Let's do it. It's not that he didn't care either. I mean, keep in mind, he waited for years. We'll come, we'll come back to that in a second. He got his servants together. He cut the wood for the burnt offering, saddled his donkey, took his son, and set out. I mean, he, very detail-oriented, got everything together. He prepared himself to do what God had asked him to do in worship. Just like Abraham, we need to make the appropriate preparations in order to worship God. If we have not prepared our hearts to worship God, we will not be able to worship Him, even if our means of worship are biblical. Even if the songs we sing are theologically correct. Even if, you know, we can sing it like no one can sing it. But if we're not prepared, worship, real, true worship is not going to happen. You'll sing a song. It'll be good. But worship will not happen. We spend time preparing for almost everything in life. For work, for school, for vacations. Uh, my goodness, we even get ready, we prepare ourselves for bed. Shouldn't we prepare ourselves for worship? And I'm not talking, I mean, let me say, I'm not talking about just getting ready for church. I mean, we should do those things. You know, we should shower and put on our nice clothes and, you know, whatever it is we do. And we, even we, Saturday night, sure, we even should, you know, we should maybe pray a little bit on Saturday night. Those things are good, but that in and of itself does not necessarily equal preparation for worship. This is one that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to want you, I'm going to hope that you'll study out. Because I don't really have time to go into all that could be said about preparation for worship. Um, the preparation and separation that we're going to talk about here in a minute should be happening throughout the week. It's the truth. Daily times, quiet times, they should be coming throughout the week. And that's not, if you don't get it every day, my goodness, I'm not trying to heap on some sort of condemnation. I'm just saying, if we truly love our God, and we truly want to pour out worship throughout the week, as well as come together with the people of God and worship in a corporate setting, which is a very biblical thing, and it's actually a very wonderful thing, we need to be prepared. Abraham Abraham prepared to worship by being obedient to the revelation of God. We need to do much more than simply study the Bible and learn about God. We need to do what it says. And that, my friends, really is the crux of preparation. Not just reading it, but doing it. Pastor TJ talked about it the last couple weeks, faith that works. Faith without works is dead, James says. As a matter of fact, let's go to James. We'll read a different scripture from that aspect. James chapter 1, verse 22 says, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. And then in verse 25 it says, But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. And that deed can also, those deeds, one of those deeds is worship. You will be blessed. You will ha- it will go well for you. It will be a profitable thing to you. Not that worship is, is simply to be a profit to us, but there is benefits which we'll talk about next week. Part of preparing to worship, let's move on, is to, to eliminate anything that distracts you. And that moves us to the third aspect of worship, for true worship, which is separation. Separation. At a certain point in the journey, Abraham left his servants behind. It is very possible that they would have interfered when they realized that he was going to sacrifice his son. I mean, wouldn't you? 
What? You're going to do what? Stop it. And Abraham wasn't about to allow anything to distract him from worshiping and obeying his God. We need to separate ourselves from anything that would draw our attention away from God. I'm not talking about necessarily just sinful things. Those are the obvious things. I mean, obviously, sin separates us from God. We don't need to talk about that rudimentary idea, I don't think, in this place. I'm talking about natural, normal things of life, things like work, family, finances. They can all distract us from worshiping God. And I'm not saying that you eliminate those things. That's impossible. I mean, you have to live life. We're not monks. And none of us are, I don't think, right? But we do need to put them out of our minds so that we can be free to focus on God. And I'm not just talking about Sunday morning. Even those quiet times that you have at home, hopefully you you have some times where you, you, you just... You're not necessarily praying for anything. You're not even just just studying the Bible. You just have a few minutes of just worshiping and praising God. Maybe stick on a CD or if you play an instrument, play an instrument and, and sing and praise God. Because that is a biblical thing to do. But in order to make those times beneficial to, 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 or profitable at all, we need to like, you know, not think about the to-do list. Not think about you know, oh gosh, the stack of bills that still has to be paid. And, not think about, hey, the boss just chewed me out at work and I'm not feeling so great about it. We've got to set those things aside. It's not easy, but it can be done. It can be done. And we have to do that on Sunday morning, obviously, too. We have not come, to get, come together this morning to worship the preacher, the music, the singers, or the instruments, but God and God alone. And the reason why I say that is because we cannot even allow the worship self, its service itself to distract us from worship. That's very easy to do. It's easy to let the, the ushers or the, not the ushers do a bad job. I'm just saying, you know, maybe they're walking around dealing with something. We have to not let them, or, or maybe there's a mistake happens up on the stage and, you know, a flub that happens, you know, it's happened like once, I think, right? Um, you can't let these things distract us. Um, we need to just, you know, I, I, I'll be honest with you, I'm up there on the stage, I see all of you, and this is going to make you feel uncomfortable probably, and maybe it should. <laughs> Uh, but I see all of you, and I see something. Sometimes I see something that's like, oh gosh, you know, I just, I wish people were a little more focused on the worship right now. And I see so and so doing this and not doing that, and it's distracting. But I have to just, nope, nope, no, no. I'm not here to do that. I'm here to worship God. That is my my first and largest, most important priority is to worship God, in spite of what anybody else is doing. And if we all did that, can you imagine what that would look like if we all did that all the time? Visitors would come in and go, oh my goodness, where, what, what did I just step into? They, they would, some of them, I mean, I'll admit, when I first got saved, I thought, man, you people are weird. What's this? And back then we even had tambourines. I remember thinking, that was really funky. What is this? Nah, never mind. So our... our and not even our preferences. We've got to be careful that we don't let our preferences distract us either. You know, maybe there's a song we sing. I'm sure there's got to be, everyone in here has got to have at least one song that you absolutely love. And there's got to be one song you're like, I really wish they would never sing that song again. I mean, you're laughing, so obviously I'm not too far off there. I don't always like, let me newsflash, I don't like, I don't really love all the songs we sing. Well, Justin, you pick the songs. Yeah, for the most part, I do. I mean, sometimes I, you know, one of the worship team members will suggest a song, and sometimes I'll go ahead and do it, even though 
When we sang one this morning, by the way, it was, I, we never would have done it if Pastor Kelly hadn't mentioned it to me. Never would have done it because I don't really like it that much. But we sang it this morning, and it's good. It's a good song. And see, the thing is, I put aside how I'm feeling about this song, that it's not really my preference. And it becomes not distracting to me, and then it becomes an avenue. Ultimately, the thing that I don't really like it becomes an avenue for me to worship God. I mean, my goodness, Abraham... There's no way he could have liked the concept of taking a knife and stabbing his son. There's no way. But because he was willing to deny himself, we'll move on from that. Actually, that segues us perfectly. Let's do that. Dedication. Dedication. Abraham dedicated his son Isaac to God. He denied himself. He dedicated himself. It was his only son. I don't think, I said this earlier, I don't think I could do this. Even if God Almighty whispered to me, Abraham, by the way, is one of my, my most favorite heroes in the Bible. As a matter of fact, he probably is my most favorite. And no, he's not David. You know, I'm a worship leader. I'm supposed to have David. supposed to be my favorite because he was a psalmist. And I like David. David's cool. You know, I appreciate all the psalms he did. But Abraham, to me, is a beautiful example of faith, of worship, of just... Everything that I would want to be, minus some of the stupid things he did. So, yeah, we won't get into that. If you don't know the story, hey, read it. You'll be shocked. Abraham dedicated his son Isaac to God. It was his only son. It was not just his only son. Keep in mind, he's about a hundred some years old or something. He had waited a hundred years, childless, with his wife Sarah. Then God came down and said, yes, you're going to have a son. A son. I'm not talking figuratively. You're going to have a real boy. And then he had to wait ten more years. Yeah, that's, that's fun. And so now God, after having waited for this promise, this miracle happens, now God's saying, get him. Yeah, that's rough. Kelly and I are, are pregnant. And I can only imagine... Uh, she, Kelly and I are. Kelly's pregnant. I'm pregnant. Kelly and I are having a boy. Um, and uh, we waited for like six years. We'd both basically given up. And I, I thought about this last night as I was going over this. I th- decided to throw this little story in there because I, I thought, I thought, my goodness, it's. I mean, it's nowhere near like Abraham who had to wait until he was a hundred, and nowhere near like Abraham who had to wait ten years. And you know, thinking there's no chance. But we waited for you know nearly six years after Chase was born, our youngest currently to get pregnant, we basically had both given up that this is just not going to happen. Maybe we'll adopt, you know. You know, maybe that's just what we're supposed to do because we started kicking that around, that idea around. We're still kicking it around, to be honest with you. Um, Kicking it around. Don't get all excited. Um, So I thought, you know, my goodness, after six years, and we were both both in tears, both happy and, like, shocked. My goodness, is is this real? Wow. This is real. I mean, I can only imagine that's how they felt. It, maybe I just have a glimpse of how they felt, but I can only imagine that that's at least a glimpse of what they felt. And then to have God, I mean, I, I imagine the boy was, you know, maybe Joshua's age. I don't know. I don't, I don't really know that we know. But he was, he was a, a, still a very young man at this point. And now God's saying, kill him. Kill him. Huh. I can only imagine. Put yourselves in the shoes. That's a good way to read the Bible, by the way, and... and, and Put yourselves in their shoes, yourself in their shoes. 
Abraham also dedicated himself, not just his son, not just the thing that he was offering, he dedicated himself to God. And that to me is the crux of dedication. We can dedicate our monies to God, we can dedicate our voices and our hands to God, but until we dedicate ourselves, yeah, that's just, it can, be, it can become just emotion, a means and not real worship. But Abraham dedicated himself to God. He would have had to totally give up everything. He stood hold, as he stood holding the knife above his head, ready to plunge it into his son, he was completely dead to self. He had to have been. I mean, think about it. There's no way he could have been thinking. I mean, because there's no chance for him to have another kid, right? I mean, that's just a hundred years old. Come on. Even back then, they acknowledged, that's old, okay? He dedicated all dedicated all that he was and all that he had to God. True worship is always costly. Simple statement. Write it down. Memorize it. True worship is always costly, even what we do here. It always costs us something. I don't mean necessarily money. I don't mean necessarily uh, anything that's truly tangible. It goes back to that idea of, of revelation and even this idea of dedication. True worship is always costly. True worship always requires us to give up our best for God's best. Our best. Not our leftovers. Our best. I'd love to explore that some more. We talked about that a couple years ago or whatever it was when I talked about excellence. But even in excellence, excellence is not just doing good things. It's doing them with the right attitude. It's, it's doing them with the motivation that God is great and He's greatly, He's greatly to be praised. In other words, He should be great, praised in a great way. Worship is costly. It's not just, yes, we will sing to you. It's giving it all. You know, maybe even if you're not a great singer, it doesn't matter. You're going to give your all. You're going to give the best that you possibly can. I won't belabor the point. Michelangelo, everybody's probably familiar. He's a Renaissance artist, sculptor, painter, all that sort of thing. Michelangelo, uh, when he was 14 years old, he came to this teacher... He was teaching him. He's still a young artist, but he was already, it was already obvious that he was enormously gifted. And his teacher was wise enough to realize that gifted people are often tempted to coast rather than grow. My goodness, that's so true. And therefore, he kept trying to pressure his young prodigy to work seriously at his art. And one day he came into the studio, found Michelangelo just chiseling around this, just this simple little sculpture that's way beneath his abilities. And he came in there, stomped in there with a hammer, and smashed the thing to bits. And then he yelled at him, Michelangelo, talent is cheap. Dedication is costly. Don't give him. It's just what we'll do. We cannot and truly think that we've worshipped. We don't give him. Yeah, that'll, that's good enough. There's no good enough in worship. There's our best. God is great and greatly to be praised. He should be praised in a great way. In a great way. We must be careful not to become like young Michelangelo, simply coasting through a worship service by simply going through the motions. Going through the motions of singing songs and taking notes is cheap. At least it can be. Just going through the motions. Dedication to true worship is costly. True worship requires that we give one 100%. Abraham obviously had to give up himself 
to kill his son or to be willing to. I mean, as we know, he didn't end up doing it. There was, you know, God was just seeing, basically testing him to see, do you really love me? Do you really revere me? Do you really want to worship me and obey me in everything? We must give our all our best. And let's talk about that best idea for just just a few more minutes. Um, I don't want to belabor it. I love the idea of excellence. I love the idea of giving our best. I try to do that in the music that I, that I do. I try to do that in the direction of the band I do. I mean, we're not perfect every once in a while. We flub. We had a couple flubs this morning. You laugh them off. You move on. You learn from them. And you try to do better. Well, that's one of the ideas. that Excellence, if you're taking notes, a side note here. This is for free, by the way. I won't charge you for this one. Excellence, the idea of excellence is that our best can always be better. This is not, I'm not talking about perfection now. And if you want to understand the whole idea of excellence, I don't know that it's online right now, but um, just ask and I'm sure we can find the CD of it and you can listen to that. Because excellence is not just about the way we do things, it's more about the attitude. I mean, my goodness, it kind of almost ties in with this idea of worship, really. They kind of go hand in hand, this idea of excellence. It's not just about doing things in a perfect way. But excellence says that our best can always, I offered God this Last week, I think I can step in a little deeper this week. I think that I can, I can not just sing louder, but give just a little bit more of my heart. I mean, we, my goodness, the Bible says that we grow, we, we grow in God from glory to glory, from strength to strength. I mean, there's a progress. Obviously, there's a progress, a pattern of progress in the Word of God for our lives. And it, it, that should happen in worship. That should happen in every aspect of our lives, shouldn't it? God is interested in the details. The idea of excellence is obviously that God is not just flippant about things. At least my interpretation of biblical excellence is that God is not just flippant about detailed things. He's very detail-oriented. Um, maybe not as much as I am. But <laughs> I can be very picky. Um, but he's intricate, intricate details. You think about the tabernacle and uh, I guess it's Exodus or wherever, one of the Pentateuch, where he, he starts giving them instructions on how to build the big tent, the, the big tent tabernacle where they're going to, the t- t- tabernacle, where they're going to uh, uh, worship God. And he goes and gives intricate details. God did. Not the people didn't get all you know, picky and, oh, we, we should use red curtains and gold here. God gave specific instructions. I want you to build it such and such length, such and such height, with such and such materials. I want you to use this, and I want you to and, and go get this guy to go build this thing. God was very interested in the details because he knew that this is supposed to be the best. And he was trying to give us, ultimately, give us a pattern that we are supposed to give the best. We are to be concerned about details. We are to be concerned about these things. Intricate details and quality craftsmanship. God is concerned with these things. God is concerned with us giving the very best that we can give. I could beat that thing to a pulp some more, but we'll move on. This is where worship begins to take place. We've, we've had a revelation. We've had some preparation. We've had some separation. We have some dedication. And now, I mean, really all five of these aspects are a journey of worship. But now the thing that we always call worship can now begin to happen. This is the point where Abraham's got the knife and he's about to plunge it into his son. And worship is about to begin. And God stops it, but really God just shows him 
the ram, and he continues on with the ram. This is where worship truly begins. And let me ask you a question and just think about it for just a second. Is there anything that you're holding back? In conclusion, I want to... What time is it? Let's read it. John chapter 4. 4 verse 20 says, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. This is, oh, this is the woman at the well. Um, Jesus, woman comes to the well. He asks her for drink. If you're not familiar with the story, read the backstory story another time. But the woman says to Jesus, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. She's a Samaritan. And so there's kind of like there's a, a class, uh, almost a, I don't know what you want to call it, a segregated society type thing going on there. Um, our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And Jesus said, said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when you shall neither worship in this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Worship the Father. Ye worship, you know not what. We know what we worship. For salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Jesus told the woman at the well that God is seeking worshipers. And even though she pressed the issue about the how, the means, the elements, in this case the location, that was an important thing back then. She was focused on those things and Jesus didn't even address them. You notice that. He didn't even say, well, no, it's not about... He said, no, it's not about any of that. It's about God. It's about knowing who He is and worshiping Him in spirit and in truth. That is the crux of worship. Just like Abraham, in order to offer up true worship to God, we need a biblical revelation of our God, who He truly is, all He's done and is capable of doing. We need to prepare ourselves for worship by doing what the Word of God says and we need to separate ourselves from anything that would draw our attention away from God. We need to dedicate ourselves to give God everything that we have. All that we are. Our very best. You all stand, please. Next week we'll talk about the fifth aspect of worship. So, come next week to find out what that is. Big mystery. And we'll also talk about the results of true worship. And then I'm kind of kicking around this idea of preparing something else. Uh, a little thing I'll call praise and worship confessionals where I'll tear back the curtain to reveal what it's like, really like, to be a worship leader. So you don't want to miss that. It sounds so dramatic. It's not that dramatic. Let's pray. Father, you've called us. You're seeking us. We are worshipers. We call ourselves worshipers. And in fact, whether or not we, we want to be worshipers or not, we are all worshipers. And you're seeking worshipers. Your word says that you're seeking us. But you're not just seeking us to worship. You're seeking us to worship in spirit and in truth. And Father, that is our desire. We want to worship you truly. Not just go through the motions, not have a form of godliness. We want the power of God. We want the power of your presence we want that manifest presence. We don't want to just go through the means. We want to truly worship You. And Father, we just thank You that You help us 
by your Spirit as we study your Word to get to know you better, to understand you better, that by your Spirit you would guide us in your Word, that we would see you greater and greater ways every time we crack open the Word, that we would see, oh my goodness, I never saw that before. I never saw that about you, God. I never saw that about your truth. I thank you, God, that you also prepare our hearts to be able to do the Word that we see. There's going to be times where we study the Word and we know that we're going to have a revelation of you and sometimes there's going to be things that you show us that we're supposed to do. And I thank you that by your Spirit you give us the grace to be obedient. You give us the grace to do your will, to prepare our hearts, to separate ourselves out, to dedicate everything that we have. We thank you that by your Spirit, we don't have to do this on our own, but that by your Spirit you give us the grace, the power, the ability to do your will, to become true worshipers, deeper worshipers of God Almighty. In Jesus' name, amen.